Welcome, everyone, to episode eight, I believe. Yes, either episode eight or nine. I've lost count by uh, how many people <laughs> I'm already interviewed. But joining me today is a young filmmaker from New York. I'm Yoko Iguchi. Um, I'm an aspiring filmmaker. Um, I've done um, a lot of short films uh, so far. Um, they're all on YouTube right now, and I'm gearing up uh, to uh, direct um, my uh, first feature film uh, right now. So that's going to be a new development. Yeah. Alright. Uh, so, tell me how you got into filmmaking. Was mm-hmm. it a... And this could be like a long like story but you, you could you, you could just keep it you know so it's like it's like how did you get into acting it's like eh, it's like it's easy to say but when you talk about something like filmmaking it's sort of like it's a, it's a process yeah there is a process um i will keep it short because it is actually a, a long story um but uh <laughs> just to kind of like briefly sum it up um uh it all kind of began in middle school uh, with my uh, middle school classmates um we kind of um you know we started filming skits uh for fun and that was kind of our method of like hanging out just like shooting these dumb little skits where we play cops and we're all uh, running around with like these green and orange guns. And we think uh, we thought we were cool. Uh, Cause we were like, you know, like 12 or 13 at the time. Um, but then um, as we kept doing these uh, short skits, um, we started to experiment with other things. Like, you know, um, it, it became from a hobby to like a serious hobby. And then eventually it became into a serious career path. Um, so it all began in middle school, just doing these short skits, and then um, that kind of evolved into what we're doing right now is kind of like taking time with our filmmaking process and kind of you know preparing the scripts and the storyboards and everything like that. So that kind of became the backbone for how I became a filmmaker is like these little skits that we did and um, uh, the movies that I saw at the time when I was 14, that was... Are really inspiring to me, and and uh, and two films in particular, um, I saw it and I felt like, wow, I want to be a filmmaker after seeing these two films. So, that's kind of the the summarized version of yeah. this uh, journey. Yeah. Yeah, as I said, you know, you know, I'm like I love film, and and I'm an actor, so it's like it's like oh yeah, you're an actor, you probably do theater mostly, or and, and film is a whole different beast, that sort of thing, and. And yes, film is a whole different beast because it's a whole process just to get all yeah. these shots completely done, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Uh, uh, but in terms of just filming in general, like what really, like you said, you mentioned two films. Like, what were those two films that like really, really sparked your like admiration into filmmaking? It's like, yeah, this is the like this is the type of film I want to do, or this is the type of like. That's like what really set me off. Right. Uh, the uh, the two films. Uh, the first one was uh, the end of Evangelion. It, it, it's the it's the final film in the Evan- uh, or it's the finale of the Evangelion anime series. And um, they had a television series, and then uh, they had like a concurrent film that sort of uh, offered a, a, an alternate ending to the um, a series. Um, and when I saw that film, it, it really shocked me. Um, and how it told its story. It's, it's unlike I've, it's unlike any film I've ever seen in my life. And, um, the way Hideaki Anno kind of delivered these complex messages and themes through these crazy, insane, uh, visuals. It it was kind of like the animated version of 2001, a space odyssey. Um, and that really inspired me. And and at that, uh, at that time, 
I was the same age as uh, Shinji, the main character. Um, he was 14, and I was 14 at the time. And um, I really related to that story. And then the other film that came out a year, uh, that I saw a year after was Inception. Uh, oh, in really? Yeah, Inception uh, really blew the door um, from under me. Like, I was, uh, I, I think I was, um, I think I was a, uh, a sophomore in high school, and then I um, I went to see the film 32 times in the theater because I was so st- <laughs> wow. I was so stunned by it. Um, I remember like there were times where like it was the weekend like I go and watch Inception like three or four times in, in one day because I, I I couldn't stop watching it, and um, it was so influential to me and how Nolan was able to bend kind of reality and time and and that's a common theme amongst his films um, as we seen in his future projects but um uh those two films were a pretty um instrumental to why i became a filmmaker but of course there are other classic films that i saw in the past but i think up until that point i've always been like a film lover um i ha- i never considered myself a filmmaker until i, I saw those two films like uh, of course i've seen uh, before that i've seen you know like um a space odyssey the godfather godzilla and amadeus and all these, all these other classics but that kind of made me a film lover, but these two films made me uh, think about my career path and made me go, oh, I, it's not just a love of the, the art form. I want to do the art form. And that's kind of what uh, came to be. Yeah, I do agree with you because, you know, it's like what you just said before. If, like being, like I do have a passion about films. Like if you ever talk to me about film, it's like all this stuff is just such unlocking. I could just yeah. I could just talk to you like endlessly about film and stuff like that. And you know, even if I haven't seen, you know, the film you mentioned, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, oh, I know this, I know who directed it, so yeah, I know his style, I know how he works, or I know her style, I know how she works, that sort of right. thing. So yeah, it, it's sort of like being a film fan sort of like helps you understand film, and then once you're behind the camera, mm. it's a whole different story. Agree. Uh, Definitely agree. Uh, do you have, like, especially with film, like, what is your education behind film? It's like, did you get, like, a degree in filmmaking, or was this just something that just happened to be, like, this is just going to be, like, a, a passion project of mine, and I'm just going to fall back onto, like, say, you know, I'm just going to be, like, um, I don't know, a, a teacher later in life, you know, get, like, that teaching degree, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I didn't go to film school. Um, a lot of people assume I have, um, the first thing when I say like I'm a filmmaker, the next question um, that follows up that statement is, uh, where did you go to school? Um, I, I chose not to go to art school because, um, you know, um, famously in New York, uh, they're not cheap. Um, <laughs> all the good ones, at least like they are not cheap. Um, and, uh, um, I, I told my mother, um, I wanted to be a filmmaker and we had a long discussion about it. Um, and, and the paths that I would take and need to take in order to get, to get to this goal. And we both agreed that film school is, I think, uh, beneficial, yes, but unnecessary. I think it's, uh, if you want to do the art, you can do it yourself. So we had a plan to, um, instead of using the money for tuition, use the money on buying cameras, lighting, um, audio equipment, and that kind of thing. So, um, all of the stuff that I've done is, is all self-financed. Uh, it's all like um, independently funded by myself, and I haven't uh, had any affiliation with any film school whatsoever. So um, I guess there really isn't a um, an, an, uh, a plan from an 
institutionalized standpoint. Like all of this is kind of just me uh, free forming these ideas and kind of trying to gather the resources um, to do them. So there, uh, there really isn't any backing for what we do. Um, I'm sorry, what was the question again? I, I got lost in my own um, thought. I'm sorry. <laughs> no problem. I get that too. Is, uh, in terms of education, and you probably and you already answered it already, but mm. it's like, did you go to like film school or something like that to become like a filmmaker? But yeah, I think for the most part, art schools in general, especially if you want to be like a filmmaker, it, it's hard because the teachers don't really teach you the type of stuff that you want to know. They always teach you how to do more practical stuff, like that sort of thing. Like yes. I would have, like I would have production classes, and they wouldn't really teach us like the real nitty gritty, like type of like exactly camera, like camera tricks, you know. Mm -hmm. But then as you're filming or something like that, or right, you're about to be filmed. I remember there was one day, uh, right before we had a film our uh, short class project for my group, and we we needed to get a one of my classmates, he wanted to do a you know a low camera shot that's like a push-in, but we didn't okay. have but we didn't have anything to do that because mm -hmm. you know we, there was no chair that could like slide around like that. And mm -hmm. sure enough, they found a wheelchair that apparently is a departmental wheelchair because the film department has a wheelchair just for that thing alone. Mm -hmm. And no one had told them about it until uh, my classmate had gone to the uh, storage room and say, "Hey, we need something to shoot a very low angle like this, like that pushes in." It's like, "Oh, we got you." And he hands in the wheelchair. I'm like, "Right." It's like that sort of thing. It's like they don't tell you about the nooks and crannies of like how to like shoot a a low angle because if you do that, it's like, "Oh, we got beyond a chair and just like rock yourself back and forth and and like, do that," or maybe have someone who is like really really nimble and just like walk along like that. But right. The thing about film school is that they will tell you the basics of stuff you already know, but and and when you want it to be stuff that you want to know, they mm. don't really they don't really want to tell you that stuff because they feel like, oh, that's just like a, at advanced level or something like that. Mm. It's like you're not a uh, expert level. That's what they're right. I agree. I've um I've sat through some online uh, lectures that were just available on online and. Um, the stuff they taught was just so basic, and and I, I ended up being so glad I I didn't go to film school because there was like a writing uh, a screenplay writing class, and they mentioned like, you know the the main ingredients to a good story is like you know like the con it's, it's like conflict and all that kind of stuff, and and I just thought to myself like I know I know all this just by watching films. I think I think it it's more valuable just to watch films over like different kinds of films over and over and over again and, and analyzing it in your own way instead of just having somebody kind of prattle on about structure and and i get that it's necessary to learn and even i you know i've read some screenplay books and um cinematography books um and you know it's it's all in there but i think after you've read it i think it, it all comes down to your own vision and and your own voice and what you have to say and um i think an art class can give you that like it only gives you just as you said, um, basic information about structure and, and, and historical um, context, but there isn't um, a way to teach you how to present your voice, how to present your vision, or, or how to kind of um, uh, create your own aesthetic. I think that's really important. Um, and that's something that um, you, need to, um, you just have to go out and do um, for film, especially because you just have to kind of practice and practice and practice until you get it. And you'll make a whole lot of mistakes, and you'll make um, the same 
mistakes in different areas, but as long as you learn and you're able to persevere from those mistakes, I think that's kind of when you become a filmmaker and you start to understand the power of the art form, I guess. Yeah, and like you said before, it's like they don't really tell you that much. Like mm. they'll, tell, they'll tell you like some of the basic stuff, and when you want to know more about that, like more than basic stuff, it's like, oh, you'll figure it out when you get to it. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like, you're right there, you can tell us right now. Yeah. Uh, so in terms of environment, uh, mm. like how has New York City filmmaking been to you, especially as a filmmaker? Because I know, I know filming in New York City is so common. It's like people, mm. you, you know, walk, you know, a couple of years ago, you know, if this was a couple of years ago, walk through Times Square, there's probably people just filming this stuff right now and just like, as a like guerrilla style, just like yeah. having someone walk around the uh, Times Square now. But even now, with this being still quarantine in effect, and Times Square not as active as it should be, mm-hmm. uh, how had do you, like were you still were you still able to film in this type of environment, or were you able to take a back seat into that? Because I know you put in a fundraiser. Um, so much to go for that uh, for your future film thing, mm-hmm. but, but and you're already into like pre-production rehearsal phase, mm-hmm. just to do that. But it was it's like and you had to say, hey, we gotta stop the thing because until of the foreseeable future, we can't right. really film right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in your experience, especially because of what's been happening, has the New York filmmaking kind of like died down so? like a little bit or is that people who are still doing like this girl style filmmaking where it's just like people still want to get their films out that sort of thing I think it's a bit uh, it's a it's a hard question to answer because it is a little bit of a yes and no I think uh, this um, pandemic obviously has put a dent in in filmmaking um, for a bit um, uh, for obvious um, reasons but uh, it hasn't stopped people from going out and filming the empty streets. Um, it certainly hasn't stopped me for do, um, from doing that. Um, I think it's kind of like um, you are doing it at your own risk. And I think if the filmmakers are, are, are willing to take that risk, they will go, uh, go out and do it. I think it, um, in the beginning of the shutdown, I saw a lot of YouTube videos. Um, and even I shot one as well of, of the empty streets in Times Square. And, and a lot of filmmakers were shooting that kind of stuff and keeping the footage because you know they can use that footage at some point in their lives maybe. Um, and I shot uh, two short films in this quarantine so far. Um, but uh, for the most part, though, I, I, I have been spending this time in lockdown um, and utilizing this um, to write, uh, to write as much as I possibly can. Um, uh, me and my partner, Michael, who is the, uh, the main lead of the uh, feature film, uh, is also my co-writer on the film, and, and both of us have been taking this time to uh, rewrite the screenplay, making it stronger, um, and making it uh, an even better film. And I think um, it, it's kind of a bittersweet kind of feeling because I have the the privilege and the luck of being in a situation where I am, you, you know, um, m- my family thankfully hasn't been affected by the pandemic, and I mean, you know, I still uh, am able to work remotely, so I'm not struggling there. So all I all I could do is really just focus on my art. So I am, I am a very blessed to be in that scenario. Um, and I haven't took it for granted. I, I really have been doing the most I can during the pandemic, trying to uh, perfect the art and trying to do as much as I possibly can and just keep going and, and not stopping. 
Um, and you mentioned the um, the crowdfunding that we have um, done. Um, originally, we were going to start uh, filming in April, uh, but the lockdown I think began. Um, I think it began in, in April. March. Actually. In uh, like um, end March. of March, I think. Yeah. Yeah, around that uh, area. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, we were planning on beginning in March, and actually, um, it's it's June twenty now. So that means we would have been wrapped probably in about uh, two or three weeks, actually. Mm. Um, so in an alternate universe, there is a version of us who are um, almost wrapping up the film. Mm. But uh, thankfully, we have a better script for it now. But, um, you know, all of this has put a dent in all of our filmmaking plans. And all we can do right now is just prepare and just prepare ourselves to kind of make the film and, and, and gather the resources that we can, uh, gather the people and do whatever we can just to uh, uh, be ready for when the city opens up and we're able to go out and film again. But I do believe guerrilla filmmaking is still a- an active thing in New York City, um, even with the pandemic. Yeah. I do see a lot of videos um, of, oh, no. of people Please taking don't tell me. shots. Yeah. Dang it. Oh, did it stop? No, it's still going. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it said uh, connection was lost. Yeah. So, but yeah, to re- reiterate, yeah, I think there is probably going to be a rise up uh, in uh, in guerrilla filmmaking mm-hmm. within the next say year or so in terms of oh, being yeah. in, po- in uh, post COVID uh, uh, style of filmmaking, especially mm-hmm. now that, especially since uh, once production starts coming back and it's already been doing that with LA or rather just California, mm-hmm. you know you got to deal with people with you know uh, more tighter restrictions that sort of thing um now you mentioned uh evil uh uh evil uh evangelion uh, i think yeah evangelion mm-hmm. and inception as sort of like your main inspirations as a growing up mm-hmm. but now that you're essentially a full-fledged filmmaker more or less uh mm-hmm. do you have like more primarily inspirations filmmaking wise because you see, as you know, when I try and direct or when I write, I try and see myself like almost writing, not necessarily like a story, mm-hmm. like a novel story. Like I have like that those type of like novel beats, that sort of thing. So I have a very mm-hmm. novelistic approach. But when I'm actually writing a story, I try and not make it as wild because when I was growing up, like the, the type of stories I would write would be very wild, like almost very Tarantino uh, Rodriguez esque. Mm-hmm. It's like so over the top, so cursive, so violent, that sort of thing. And over the years, I just sort of like starting to become a, like a little more browner type of thing. Mm-hmm. Like that's when like Nolan will probably come into play. Right. He has a like he has a more grounded approach, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And one of my favorite filmmakers is Michael Mann, and Michael, Michael Mann, Mann is is even though he's a, a perfectionist, the movies he do he does. It sucks to influence me because that's like the type of movie I want to make. It is that very quick, effective, brutal type of films that mm-hmm. you know, he, you know, he would probably put out on. Uh, not, I don't really worry about it. That he will release in theaters. Mm-hmm. So yeah, in terms in terms of your filmmaking now, mm-hmm. like who are the inspirations that you kind of like see and actually kind of like pick out as inspirations. I think it's a whole bunch. Um, it does depend on the kind of story that I, I'm writing. I, I'm the kind of person that um, I base the style or inspiration based on the genre that I'm writing. Like, um, 
you know, for last session, it's 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 um it's a whole lot of different um, indie films combined. Um, I looked at Swiss Army Man. I I looked at um, the Lobster. Uh, I looked at you know a whole bunch of different films, and it kind of uh, it comes in random. But I think in general, um, I will say uh, for the modern filmmakers at least, because obviously you know um, Kubrick and Hitchcock and Spielberg and Lucas and Coppola and Scorsese have shaped you know my image of uh, film so um, I'm not going to include them because they're a little obvious but yeah. Uh, um, yeah they're like the Mount Rushmore of filmmakers so it's like I can't even if I mention them like I'm neglecting all the other uh, modern filmmakers out there but I think as of right now I do take a lot of influence from uh, Nolan, Hideaki Anno, uh, David Fincher, uh, Zack Snyder, um, uh, Denis Villeneuve, um, uh, uh, Del Toro, Alfonso Cuaron, um, Alejandro G., Nyeritu, uh, um, all these guys have shaped kind of what I like to do. Um, for example, like um, uh, Quaron and Nyeritu are known for their you know long takes, and um, I love doing like long take shots, and that kind of evolved from um, from that. And um, I love the color palettes used in Zack Snyder films, and how he shoots action scenes, and even how he shoots his um, uh, regular scenes. I love how uh, Nolan um, uses time and uses um, these these fantastical elements in a realistic kind of setting and and, and the way that his characters speak is very specific, and I like that as well. Um, so it's a whole bunch of different things, but I, I do think it does vary based on the film I make. Um, you know, uh, um, if I make a film about, you know, a Western, I'll start looking at, you know, old uh, John Ford films, or I'll look at modern... Sergio, uh, uh, Sergio Leone. Sergio Leone, exactly. Yeah. And um, I'll, I'll look at modern Westerns like, you know, True Grit or 310 to Yuma, uh, Django Unchained, and that kind of thing. So um, it does depend on the genre. But I would say those directors, I think for the most part, uh, I might be missing a couple, but uh, those guys are the ones that are influencing me a lot as of right now um, from a modern standpoint. Now, you mentioned Zack Snyder before, and I do want to ask you a question on terms of something like the Snyder Cut, where it's like the, the fans mm -hmm. who essentially gave a lot in order to release a version of the movie that was essentially, would have been not essentially released on videos. Like, oh, it's like, oh, we hear things about the director's cut or a standing cut, that sort of thing. Right. So, so do you see maybe and like for me i grew up with my own personal Sonic cut with halloween six and halloween six mm. essentially had two different cuts they had the right, regular, right the theatrical cut and they had the the so-called producer's cut which was mm -hmm. essentially you know it was essentially a much longer movie and it had much more of a tighter pace you know mm -hmm. it actually fleshed out the story aside from the theatrical cut mm -hmm. now with something like the standard cut being released on a streaming service do mm -hmm. you see uh, streaming services, especially things like maybe Netflix, Hulu, that sort of thing, kind of mm -hmm. like taking advantage of that sort of thing, because I know Netflix still has the Hateful Eight, like, roadshow version. Yeah, the extended, like, uh, uh, miniseries, like, like four-episode version, yeah. Yeah. Do you see, like, streaming platforms kind of, like, taking advantage of that notion of, oh, wait, you know, we have this, ex you know, alternate cut of this film, and we mm -hmm. can milk at it. You know, it's like, could you see other streaming services like a start essentially doing that as a way to keep people, uh, I won't say entertain, but pe keeping people essentially with that service and not, you know, going people, you know, going into that other service? Mm -hmm. 
I think uh, that's an interesting question. Um, I think the Snyder Cut, I think, is a uh, is kind of an anomaly in a in a weird sense where, you know, it is uh, um, the production of that film is is crazy. Um, and um, to answer the question, um, I'm not 100 percent sure, to be honest. Um, I do think it is up to the studios that own the films, like, for example, Tarantino, um, you know, uh, essentially gave Netflix his like four hour cut of the hateful eight. Um, and, um, but I'm not, I'm not really sure. I think it does have to be something that either the studio is clamoring for, or the fans are clamoring for. I think, um, the slander cut is, is a, is a, a movement where a lot of the fans of, of Zack Snyder, including myself, were very vocal about having his original cut be released. And, and, you know, uh, we heard so many rumors about it existing and Zack Snyder confirmed it and and then that kind of became history and now it's being released next year um, but it could open the gates for other films but uh, I will say uh, it, it will be um, at the end of the day up to the studio that created the film and it's up to them to say like hey um, the fans want this or maybe it'll make more money if we release um, uh, such and such cut um, uh, I don't think there are particularly a lot of films in this scenario because I, I think most films kind of just have a, th- a, a theatrical cut released and then possibly like a longer director's cut release like Lord of the Rings or Amadeus or, or Terminator or The Abyss. Um, but uh, the Snyder Cut is almost kind of mythical because of the fact that it was such a different film altogether. Like it... Um, it wasn't like a shorter version or like a tightened up version of it. It was just a completely different film that was entirely reshot. So I think there was a, a different kind of hunger for that film to be released. But there could be the possibility of, of um, Netflix and Hulu and uh, Disney Plus um, seeing the success or lack of success, who knows, um, of, of the Snyder Cut on HBO Max and see the reaction. And, and if the Snyder Cut is a success, I hope, um, this might influence some studios to release different versions of their films, but I would I would say that I do think the Snyder Cut is a very special case um, because it has the full backing of Warner, AT and T, and DC, um, and I'm not sure if other studios are willing to kind of go that far to release an alternate version of their film. Uh, but who knows? I think it's going to be up to the success uh, of the Snyder Cut and um, how yeah. it does uh, on HBO Max, basically. Yeah, it's like for the past like three years or so. It's like what you just said. It, it, the Snyder Cut has been like a mythical type of thing that doesn't feel like it's real or or it is real. It's just mm-hmm. that it's like it, it was essentially the holy grail of almost of like of like uh, of of superhero movies. Now, it really is. Yeah. Now. Do you see is like once this thing is released? Do you see like people going and say, "Oh, this is the best"? You know, this should have been released. Like, like do you see? That? Okay, this is actually a good question because once Justice League came out, mm. like, like you know, Josh Whedon's like essentially take over take, you know, mm-hmm. like when he took over names. Yeah. Do you see like once the Snyder Cut is released and you know and people are able to watch the whole thing? Would you see the same type of like armaments that was coming out from when Justice League came out, or do mm. you see it sort of like saying, 
this is the superior cut. This is what should have been released. That's what, mm-hmm. even though this is like close to like three and a half hours long or however long mm-hmm. it's going to be. I would say, I think most people would agree that it would be the better version because I'm, I, I don't know a lot of people who particularly like the theatrical cut. I actually, um, I like the theatrical cut. <laughs> no, I, I actually, um, I'm actually um, also in the minority. I am indifferent to the theatrical cut. I, I just thought it was fun. Um, yeah, and it, is, it, felt, really. it, it just felt like a DC animated film. Um, so when it first came out, I did defend it. I was like, oh, it's, it's just a fun superhero film. Uh, the Avengers was also, and it, it didn't have much weight to it. Um, but when I started hearing about what Zack Snyder was actually doing and how much of the film was changed, that's when my attitude kind of like changed from it. It can't just be just fun. It has to be what. Zach wanted for the film but um you know unfortunately a lot of people do kind of hate on Zack Snyder and it, it does feel a little bit like online bullying at times and and um I'm not sure a lot of people are, are still open to the idea of liking his films and and even liking his films is kind of like a um a negative kind of viewpoint like I'm sure anyone who's watching this will instantly say like oh yoko's an idiot for liking Zack snyder because <laughs> um, i've heard that comment many many times and i still don't give a fuck um, um but the um but i do hear a lot of people now who are uh, revisiting the director's cut of batman v superman and they're saying i don't get why this wasn't released uh, this is the better cut and this is and these are people who didn't uh, uh like the movie at all so hopefully this will change the perception of Zack Snyder's films and and what Justice League was supposed to be and hopefully you know people will start to appreciate his his uh, um, filmography because I remember back in '09 when Watchmen came out I remember being one of the few people that actually liked the film and now a lot of people are saying like, oh it's a good film and I kind of went like where were you ten years ago like I remember being <laughs> alone in this opinion um and everyone was hating it but now everyone's like oh it's it's pretty good i'm like okay you should have said that 10 years ago um so i i think zach is one of those artists where and this is i'll probably be slaughtered for this but um he's one of those filmmakers i think that is so ahead of his time and i think at the moment his films are so shocking that it's hard to digest it in one go and I think over time, people appreciate his films more and more. I remember, again, like Man of Steel, like I remember being one of the few people that liked it. And now people are like, oh, it's a really good film. Like, well, I thought that in 2013. I don't know where you guys were, but <laughs> um, but hopefully this changes things for Zack Snyder. I've always been a fan of his ever since I, I've seen 300. He's been a filmmaker that I've admired so much um, based on his style and how he uses visuals to tell a story i think he's one of the best visual storytellers out there and um i think it's so wonderful to see how he works and how he kind of like deconstructs his 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 film compositions and and everything so i hope this um the center cut uh, will be a more positive experience for the people who have been kind of uh, to say politely uh, have been mean to him yeah to to uh, to put it bluntly, very yes. I really do hope that people who see just now goes like, "Wow, Zach, you, you were totally wrong. You were in the right the entire time." We yeah. all suffer. I hope so. In, in terms of actually uh, decisive filmmakers, I know for a fact there are filmmakers in general, especially in the horror field, mostly because the way people like oh perceive horror that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I have the same viewpoint because I, I, I had recently rewatched Hereditary from my 
death and uh, human encounters with death and bereavement class, right? It's a great film, by the way. It is a great film. Yeah. When I first watched it, I did not, I did not understand it. I, I thought it was scary, but I just didn't understand it. Mm-hmm. And then having to take a class about death and bereavement is like, and then rewatching, I'm like, oh my god, I, I see a lot of stuff I haven't even noticed before. Mm-hmm. And then. And then writing a paper about it, using it as one of my four films, I'm like, holy mm-hmm. shit, this is good. Yeah. Like, but then I hear stuff about Midsommar, and I'm like, why should I see that film if I've seen Hereditary? It's like, mm. I've already seen Hereditary. So it's like, I think it's getting to a point where it's like when you have a, a filmmaker who starts off very strongly, mm-hmm. and then he, they make uh, the second film, right? Mm-hmm. And the second film is sort of like as divisive as the first film was. It's sort of mm. like it's the point where it's like, should I watch it? Because, you know, it's, you know, I've, it, it's sort of like with Jordan Peele. It's like, I love Get Out, right? Mm. I, thought, I thought it was great out. I have yet to watch Us because I've mm. read the reviews of Us. And I was like, oh, you know, it's funny, but it's also twisted. And it's like, well, that's what Get Out was too. It was like, mm. so would I be watching the second version of Get Out? I was like, oh, no, no, it's a big difference. But, but I think I have to in terms of those type of notions, I have to wait until the right moment to actually sit down and watch it because I can't wait for people to say, hey, why haven't you watched this yet? It's like, mm-hmm. I, have to, well, I have to wait and see it. Okay. I have, you know, oh, wait, there's us right now on Netflix. I'm mm-hmm. going to watch. You know, I have to wait until it's like when there's a chance to do so. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they, you know, directors like Jack Snyder do, do get a lot of flack because of their directing ability. Do you right. think? Do you think like that perception of directors who have like a certain style gets overshadowed to say actors who have their own uh, like? Oh, that's interesting. Like, like yeah, essentially like how. I really don't want to use Brando as a thing because I keep on shit talking Brando over the past couple of episodes. <laughs> but say someone like. Okay, say someone like Sean Penn, right? Sean right. Penn, he was, well, let's just say he was an asshole back when he was younger. Mm. Still, still type of an asshole, but he's kind of like mellowed out. Mm-hmm. Like, same with like Russell Crowe. Russell Crowe has kind of like mellowed out like considerably over the past. Yeah, like, he, yeah he's like, definitely mellowed like, out. Yeah. Like for the past like 10 years or so. Mm-hmm. Especially since, you know, you grew up hearing him, oh, how he, you know, bust a freaking uh, phone against somebody's face, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. It's like, do you see like, because for some reason, actors and actresses who get like flack are kind of like glossed over after a few while. But mm. then there are directors who are kind of like divisive, like who have that notion of like, oh, they can't get that. You know, they always will get flack because of the way that they are uh, directing. But I, you know, even though he's a great filmmaker, I'm pretty sure Nolan always gets flack for directing the same certain styles. Like, like Nolan, try something new. And, and mm. when you try something new, people were like, back to the old Nolan. That's what I was mm-hmm. thinking. You know, when, you know, when, yeah. he did, when he did Dunkirk, I thought, oh, man, that, that was a great experience. And then I would read people like who, wouldn't, who didn't like Dunkirk because of how loud it was, how how edge of the sea was. And I will say this, it actually gave me a panic attack as I was watching the film in theater. So it was like, so when it happens like that, it's like, that is a film and a filmmaker who is actually using the film to, his, to their craft. Mm-hmm. So my question, in a very long, roundabout way, is like, 
are there filmmakers who get like flack and kind of like aren't glossed over compared to actors who do get flack and kind of are glossed over because the fact that they are actors and they're kind of like much more of a star power than say the director because even though they're all famous directors mm -hmm. they are not as famous as say the actor or actors right i do think um you know directors uh you know it's funny because you know um i was watching jaws earlier today and it's still a, a fucking film. fantastic film so yeah. so good um it's 45 years old and it still holds up but I think the magic with Spielberg, and this, uh, there is a point to this. Um, <laughs> Don't worry. Because uh, it's like a, a side tangent. But um, Spielberg's, why he's so great and why he became so popular, I think, is he is so good at hiding his style. But you, if you're a filmmaker, you notice his style instantly. But I think to an everyday moviegoer, you, you don't really see a, a film with incredible stylistic choice. You just see a good story. Um, and that's why Spielberg is able to be so mainstream and so popular because he's able to kind of take, you know, take directions where he is able to present these beautiful visuals without being flashy. Um, it's not like a Kubrick where the the shot is like a painting and it's like it, it's a methodical painting of, you know, craftsmanship. Uh, Spielberg is a very different kind of filmmaker. Um, and that's why I think he succeeds. Now, if you take if you look at something like something out of 300 and if you, you know, put 300 next to, let's say, Jurassic Park. Yeah. Jurassic Park looks very, quote-unquote, ordinary. Let's yeah. just use that term. But I think it's because, again, Zack Snyder is the kind of filmmaker just that he goes for a swing. And yeah. whether it hits or misses for audiences, it's up to the audience. But he goes for that full swing. And I think a lot of filmmakers who do that end up being very divisive filmmakers. But I think over... But I think the key is, though, over time they become recognized for for their uh, for their aesthetic and for their style. Uh, and I I do I do think, um, and this is kind of a weird opinion, but I do think Michael Bay gets a lot of slack. Um, he does really. Um, I I'm not saying all of his films are great. I think a lot of his Transformers are crap. But. <laughs> The we man, all agree with that. Yeah, the man though he does have a distinctive style, and from shot one you can tell, oh, that's a Michael Bay film. You can instantly yeah. tell it's a Michael Bay films. So I will always respect him for being someone who is instantly recognizable in his stylistic choices. So that's always been something that I liked about him. And again, he's a very divisive filmmaker. I'm kind of in between on him because I, you know, I don't want to say I'm pro Michael Bay. Because if I say I'm pro Michael Bay, I'm pro. Transformers Last Night, Transformers <laughs> Age of Extinction, Transformers Range of the Fallen. Pain and Gain is kind of hit or miss for me. But, like, um, but I do like you know, some of his filmography, and I get what he's trying to do. He wants to make like this epic American Hollywood blockbuster, and I, I get it. Um, but again, like, it is a divisive style, and it is divisive for me. Like, um, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But um, I just don't like people who go out of their way to insult a director because of their style. I think, you know, you can say, oh, this film is bad. Like, I can, I can say confidently, like, uh, Transformers Last Night is a terrible film. But it's not because of Michael Bay specifically. Like, there's a lot of things that he does wrong, in my opinion, but I wouldn't go out of my way to, to call out Michael Bay for his Michael Bay-isms. I think yeah. that's kind of a, a wrong criticism, I think. I'm... I think 
Michael Bay's style worked in the first Transformers, and even the third one, I have a guilty pleasure for. Um, but sometimes it just doesn't work, and and that's up to the film, and it's up to the story, it's it's up to the the aesthetic that he um, he makes, and it's the same with Zack Snyder. For, uh, for Zack Snyder, I've loved every single one of his films, even though you know I I acknowledge like, yes, Sucker Punch isn't that great, but like I get what it's trying to do, and the director's cut of that film is even better. Well, not, not the director's cut, the extended cut of that film is even better. Um, but but I do I do respect directors where you see a shot of their films and you just go, oh, that's such and such. I think that's a, a talent that um, you can't learn in film school, kind of going back to what we were saying earlier, like that's a very internal thing. And that's a very specific thing that the director has a vision. And Zack Snyder has always been the kind of person who never compromised on, on his vision and never compromised on what he wanted the film to be. He always got across, like, this is my film. This is how I made it. And it's going to look and feel in this certain way. I don't care what audiences feel. This is it. And I love that unapologetic, um, very divisive, uh, um, uh, divisive and uh, decisive filmmaking. That's really um, crucial. But I do agree um, that actors aren't getting as much slack. But I think it's because for actors, it's mostly their personal stuff that gets like their personal lives that get like slack or uh, um flack or you know yeah. um shit on basically but if it's a director it's more their style like their style gets um shit on a lot and and actors too like actors get shit on um uh, depending on their style of acting you know i i know people who don't like nicholas cage and i love nicholas cage yeah, um, he's just fantastic he's, he's a so great sick. actor and he's got his own style um yeah the minute he pops in you're like oh that's a nicholas cage uh, performance um, but some people um, just don't like him, and that's something that you just kind of have to nod and accept because Nicolas Cage is not a mainstream actor. Like he's not trying to please a mass. He's just trying to go for whatever he thinks is right, and that is a very divisive, you know, acting kind of persona. Even though most people would agree that he's a great actor, but I do know that some people don't like him for his, you know, "quote unquote" spastic movements. Um, but I think he's a great actor, but it's the same thing. I think uh, divisive filmmaking, I think, is a good thing. I think um, I think it's a, an interesting concept. I think if people think it's divisive, then it's an interesting choice as opposed to a bad yeah. choice. Yeah. I remember, and I still remember, the, the flair Rob Zombie got for directing his two Halloween movies. And, you know, he did Halloween... And then people were like, you know, what were you thinking? All that stuff is like, oh, you thought I was insane? Well, watch the second movie. I was like, and he kind of right, like, right. He, he kind of like does. I those films, by the way. Like those are. I mean, they, they're, they're good films. It's just that you know, and and the second movie is a great film if you want to look at a, at a character study who is going through a post traumatic stress uh, mm. uh, uh, stress uh, episode. Because mm. Laurie in that film deals with that severely. Something in the in the new Halloween that kind of like doesn't really it like they kind of like do dive into a PTSD thing, but it's like it's kind of like subdued. It's like oh she drinks, she kind of like snaps with her family. And Rob Zombie's Halloween too, she has like full blown P, uh, PTSD episodes where she right. is like really really fucked up. Mm. And 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 yeah, the, the, I do agree that there are filmmakers who are 
uh, who are essentially very split down the middle because of their film styles. And there are people who will love them or hate them because it, it's odd because of how you mentioned Michael Bay before. And right before I went to bed, Deep Impact was on last night. And, Deep Impact, yeah. And I was watching it a little bit and I was like, and I, I went to my brother and he goes, and I went, why is Deep Impact a superior film? Because he knew why I was talking about Armageddon. Mm, right. when watch, it's like when you watch it now, Deep Impact is a superior film to Armageddon because you know not only does it has a, it has a more fleshed out story and actually more kind of like grounded story. When you watch Armageddon, it's sort of like, oh, it's like very, it's a very, it's a popcorn. Yes, very, like, very popcorn. Yeah. It's like if you watch, it's like it has all it's it's feeling all the 90 tropes and feeling all the 90s uh beats all that stuff and it's like it's really giving the whole america hell yeah you know mentality of like yeah. uh you know 1990s filmmaking which is essentially michael bay's forte you know basically america mm -hmm. hell yeah it's very and, nostalgic that film armageddon i watched it recently and man is it nostalgic like the aerosmith song and uh it's it's it, it just brings like, me back it's like I was recently I played replayed Saints Row the Fourth like maybe a few months ago, and the first mission literally has I don't want to miss a thing. Uh, uh. I don't want to <laughs> miss a thing as the main character is like literally climbing a rocket to destroy a destroyer like oh, almost like in a very Batman and Robin esque type mm -hmm. of way. Oh, and you know that's another filmmaker that's that gets a lot of oh, like Joe Schumacher. You know, yeah. he made essentially two movies: Batman Forever and Batman and Robin. Essentially, two big toy commercials. His words, and he gets a lot of flack because, oh yeah, you know, he, you know, he, he, you know, uh, uh, he made Batman into a wimp. He made Batman into essentially the live action uh, Adam West. Uh, yeah, even though Adam West was already the live action. He's already live action. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, but he made him like a big screen Adam West, even though there was a big screen Adam West adaptation. So yeah, sure. there was. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and. You know, it's odd how essentially there are filmmakers who get a lot of flack, and then there are actors who get who are the same thing. Where it's like, oh, I hate this filmmaker. I mean, I hate this filmmaker, and or no, no I hate this actress. Or I hate this actor. That sort of thing. And they were get like very pushed aside with that. It's like I know Brie Larson who gets a lot of flack for playing Captain Mall because she's so stoic. She doesn't have any emotions. That sort of thing. Mm. But when you think about it. Carol Danvers has been a prisoner for like 20 odd years or so, or 20 plus years. So, of course, she's going to be stoic. Of course, she's got to have no emotion. You know, being a prisoner, that sort of thing. You don't have emotion if you're a prisoner, you know, that sort of thing. So, and also, it doesn't help that Carol Danvers, you know, has a chip in her head in the first movie. That sort of thing. Oh, spoilers if you haven't seen Captain Marvel, but I'm pretty sure people have already watched it. So. It made a billion dollars, so I'm, I'm sure <laughs> people haven't people seen it. <laughs> but. Yeah, it's odd how essentially we could go on and on about how there are decisive filmmakers and there are actors or actresses who have the same type of decisiveness, but it's kind of like pushed away because of their, either their star power or the fact that they make good roles, that sort of thing. Yeah, uh, I agree. I think it's, uh, it's, it's best not to say, like, I don't like this person's work. I think it's just better to say, I don't like this film or I don't like this specific performance. You know what I mean? Like, like yeah. it's not good to lump uh, a person or a person's work. I think it's it's just it's just not correct. Um, like I like again like I like and dislike Michael Bay because I I yeah. like Armageddon. I like 
you know, um, uh, uh, The Rock. I like tra- uh, Transformers. I like Bad Boys 1 and 2. I dislike, tra- you know, these other films. Um, so it's not good to say I don't, I dislike or, or like this director if you don't have an, an opinion on the whole. Like, I can say I love Spielberg because I love most of his filmography. But if yeah. you're kind of down the middle, I feel like you can't really say, like, I don't like him or I don't like her or vice versa. Like you can't really do that, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it, now that we kind of got like, inspirations and all that stuff about filmmaking, that sort of like director talk, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, in terms of the foreseeable future, I know you mentioned uh, you're doing a feature film and mm-hmm. hopefully that will be shot and produced Later this year, you know, yeah, crossing fingers. <laughs> uh, hang on, uh, knock on wood. Yeah, uh, yeah, knock on wood. Yeah. Uh, are there any other projects that you have that you want to promote in terms of like, oh yeah, you know, I I'm gonna be doing this in the future. It's like, or at least I'm gonna try and do this. Just like, what are your upcoming yeah. projects? Um, so I have a short film that I previously mentioned this, but I did shoot a, a film during quarantine. Um, it's called um, A Strain of Fear. Uh, it's coming out uh, hopefully soon. Uh, we're um, kind of uh, I'm doing some uh, last-minute touch-ups on the film, so it should be coming out probably in July, um, uh, hopefully. Um, and um, I am currently, um, like I mentioned, I have the uh, I have the feature film that's in that's uh, trying to wrap up uh, uh, pre-production um, and hopefully go into filming uh, whenever we can. And I'm currently in the middle of uh, writing like um, three or four different um, projects right now that I can potentially see in the foreseeable future kind of uh, coming to fruition. I do have a short film that I, I want to shoot uh, probably at the end of the year. Um, but yeah, those are the projects that I'm I'm dealing with right now, uh, for the most part. Yeah. Uh, now, I do have a question. Uh, in terms of a screenplay, mm-hmm. do you find writing screenplays an easy way, or do you find it kind of like hard because it's like a... It, it's like, it's very... Metho- not necessarily methodical, but you have to be very, very particular in, t- in terms of what you're writing. Like, I've written a couple of screenplays already because of my uh, screenwriting classes, that sort of thing, and a whole outline for a Crow remake that for one of my classes. So, in terms of, like, do you do, in terms of your, like, uh, screenwriting process, do you do an outline and then you write the screenplay, or do you just do, like, hey, I had this idea, I'm going to write these couple of ideas down, and then, as you're looking at this like idea sheet, you start thinking about ways of how these things could come together. Mm-hmm. Almost like I think a dream board, I think. And then right. essentially, essentially, okay, I have these ideas. I know where to start, and then just start writing you know, like interior, blah blah blah. blah that's what. Mm-hmm. Um, it does depend on the story. Sometimes I do do like an uh, an outline thing. I think I have. Yeah, these. This is. This is one of them. Um, oh, wow. um, so uh, it does depend on the on the film project that I'm I'm working on. Um, and the first question um, about the um, if I like writing or not, um, I do like I do like writing. Uh, I do think it's very fun. I love kind of pouring out my ideas onto you know onto a document. I think it's really fun, and I get to kind of like imagine the scene in my head and then just kind of let it play out. But I will say like I'm. I am not the best writer, so I do always kind of ask my friends uh, to give me like a second and third opinion on like you know like 
um, does this work? And this is why um, uh, my friend Michael, who was um, uh, co-writing last session with me, like he's always been a, a fantastic partner to kind of collaborate with. And he's always told me if things um, didn't work or did work, and we'd always kind of like discuss certain uh, script aspects, basically. Um, but I do love writing. I think writing is really fun. Um, I just think that uh, I am not the kind of person who can write a script on my own. I'm not like a Tarantino type where he can yeah. just rush out an entire script and it's like perfection. Like I'm the kind of person where I, I need to have it um, edited and looked at by other people. And, and sometimes my ideas kind of go off the walls a little bit. So I, I need the crew to kind of like hold me back a little bit. And I, I'm really thankful to my friends who I always collaborate with. And they're always um, able to give me constructive criticism and tell me like Yoko, like you can't do this or this goes too far or like, oh, this is too like philosophical or talky. So you might want to like tone it down a little bit. So I value that um, a lot in my writing process. It's just hearing the opinions of, of my trusted film partners. But that's how I write, basically. And you mentioned partners and collaborators. Uh, I know your film, I want to say production company or film company, has at least three other filmmakers with you or maybe more. We I'm have not sure. a, we, I think it's like five now, including myself. Um, oh. <laughs> uh, uh, I kind of began a production crew uh, called... Um, uh, Resistance Pictures. Um, that's kind of uh, something that I developed. Um, um, of course, we're not like incorporated or official or anything like that. But um, yeah. I do have like a YouTube channel with all those films there, um, and um, it depends on who kind of collaborates. And but all of us kind of work together on different areas in film. Uh, you know, uh, some of us are actors. Some of us are gaffers, audio scripts. Uh, I'm the director. Um, a cinematographer and the editor um so uh that's kind of the pattern that we do um anytime i have a project in mind i always uh, run it past them and see like what they think and what uh, how they feel about it and um and it's always been instrumental uh for me that collaboration i think it's hard to do this on your own and i can't yeah. emphasize enough that i don't know what i do without them and and how much how important they are to this entire process and how much they've influenced my my work and my work ethic and i think that's really important just to have this group of people who are so supportive and so collaborative but also not only that but all of them are just great artists um individually as well so i'm very thankful for their help and their contribution to what i've been doing so far and, and they've also done some amazing work individually uh, as well so it's all a, a huge collaborative effort in the end uh I have like one last question, but yeah. I do want to piggyback off that last question I just had. Uh, of course. Uh, was it easy to essentially film a like a production crew of sorts, especially since you know it's New York City? It, it's like the same thing with theater company in New York mm. City. It's like you know, it's like oh, I'm on a public theater company in New York City. Who do I know? It's like who will be great with this sort of thing? You know, I I'm not, I need a playwright. How many playwrights right now? I might need a director. I might need a stage manager. That sort of thing. With filmmaking, was it very easy to essentially film like a production crew or group mm -hmm. of? Well, I'll just say a production company has of sorts, mm -hmm. or or did it take time because hey, I need to figure out like I need to know the great minds before I ask them. Hey, I have a production company. Would you like to be in that? No, like a little inner circle. Right. Thing. 
Um, so thankfully, it was very easy. Thankfully. Um, oh. Yeah, thankfully. Um, this could have been a much harder process, but I, I was blessed with an amazing um, crew. Um, so um, I did kind of say, I started this thing in middle school, and Michael, um, my film partner, who's also co-writing Last Session, um, he, I've known him since middle school, and we've been friends ever since then. And as long as um, Edwin, um, who's also a part of our crew, he's um, he's also a middle school friend. And then we met uh, Nadim and Shaq um, in high school, and we kind of kept, you know, doing the the fun skits, you know, uh, starting from at that point. And th at that point, none of us were super serious about filmmaking. We were kind of like half serious. Um, but after high school, and I after I graduated um, high school, I kind of started to look at it in a more serious route because again like i made the choice to not go to college and to pursue this on my own like kind of full time um but i already had those guys on call like those guys would always say yes to you know whatever project we did and we collaborate on it so thankfully they were already on board with our stuff so yeah. um, i was able to kind of just bring them in and say like hey i'm developing a new like production crew it, it's going to be resistance pictures it's going to be very different it's going to be at the beginning, I made these like art house style kind of films, and they were very like cerebral and kind of odd, and that kind of evolved into a, a different direction. Um, and I met um, a lot of great people along the way, um, and um, uh, another friend of mine, Darren, who's a uh, uh, who is I guess the newest member of our our crew. He's also been very instrumental to our work, and mm. and also like um, there's a lot of guys like Ronald and Alex who have been always helpful on, on crew, and they've always done a lot of great work for me. So um, it's it's been about uh, mutual connections. Um, who do we know, and who do we trust? And I look to my partners and say like, if you trust them, I'll trust them. And they haven't failed me yet. Like they've always brought in some great people, and you know, it's, it's always been a great collaborative effort with them. And I haven't had. Uh, I had some trouble uh, with some people, but uh, with the main crew, like they've always been so good and so supportive, and and always so um, diligent with when we do a shoot. Like they've always they'll always come in. They're they're ready. They do their job and they're great at it. And I don't have to kind of wrangle them to do stuff. Like they're already on it. So thankfully, I, I got this team. But it, it's kind of a a blessing that this kind of happened. Um, I think normally it, it would be hard to gather a film crew like this. Like you have to vet people and you have to kind of like, hopefully like see if, if they understand what you, um, how you, how you work, how you think, but they all know what I'm thinking. Uh, they know how I work and they know how I like to film and my filmmaking methods. So uh, there wasn't a lot of like butting heads on set. So <clears throat> that was always a good, kind of like a, a good experience for us so far it's been it's been really good nice and for my last and this is my last question mm, no problem do you, do you have any advice to the audience who is listening or watching right now mm -hmm. um i actually do get this question a lot on like twitter and instagram like a lot of young filmmakers are and it, they're all my age too um and it's it, it it's kind of daunting to be the one to give advice because I'm I'm still in need of advice. Um, but uh, the one thing that I've always said to everyone is, if you want to do film, I think you just have to you just have to um, do it. You just have to go out and, and film something, whatever it may be. Like it could be horrible. Um, I've known from experience. Like I've made some horrible stuff in my past. Like just 
unwatchable things. Like, like we were in high school and, and we had no idea what we were doing and, and the final product was just terrible. But, but the key is, if you make a terrible product, you can learn why it ended up being so bad. So yeah. whatever the first thing you make is, it doesn't matter what that thing is. As long as you take whatever that thing is and learn from it, learn from the good, learn from the bad, and just keep shooting stuff. I think the problem with every young filmmaker, and I, I, I always ha- have to get myself out of this problem, is, you know, oh, I can't shoot this. I don't have the budget. I don't have the resource. I can't do this. But the question becomes, like, you know, should I do it? And the answer is always yes. So you have to find a way to make it practical, scale it down, or whatever the idea may be, just scale it down, find a way to do it, find a crew if you can. It can be your friends, it can be your family, it can be whoever. But I think the worst thing is a filmmaker going, I can't do it, I don't know how to do it. Because I think no one can tell you how, you just have to go out and do it. And that's when you'll begin to learn, okay, these are my talents and these are my skills, what am I skilled at and what am I not skilled at? And that's also important too, is figuring out your weaknesses and, and that way you can start filling in those blanks. Like, I, like for me personally, I am weak in my writing. That's why I, I have people like Michael who will help me with my writing. I am weak on my lighting. That's why I have uh, my friend Nadim help me with lighting and help me understand lighting. So you just got to fill yourself with information and resources and also friends who are able to kind of collaborate with you. So yeah. the key piece of advice is just do it. Just go out, film whatever you want to film. It can be anything. But um, the worst thing to do is not do anything. You just got to be active and just go out, shoot with your friends, do whatever um, it it takes to get it done. And that feeling of finishing that first product is such a strong high. Like It it feels so good to kind of finish your work. Um, No matter what the outcome is, it just always feels good good to complete something so again just go out get a camera it could be your iphone um iphone shoot 4k now get your phone get a dslr camera and just shoot and whatever it is that's the that's the start of your filmmaking kind of uh, uh, career path that's a great that's a great advice and before we go do you have any social medias you want to plug Yes, I am. I am on Facebook um, and Twitter and Instagram at uh, Resistance O One O One. You can find me uh, there, um, and also I have a YouTube channel, uh, www.youtube.com/slash/theresistancefilms. Uh, you'll find all of our uh, past filmography there, and hopefully, um, you guys will able to uh, be uh, able to check out our uh, feature film coming up. Hopefully, um, whenever we get uh, started filming. Um, but yeah. <laughs> And with that, that has been episode eight. Yeah, episode eight of Performing the Arts. I may have already miscalculated. <laughs> yeah, it was episode eight of Performing Arts. I hope you've been. Uh, magic of editing. I'm not there. I this stuff. Yeah. This has been episode eight of Performing the Arts. My name has been Brian M. Davis. I hope you have enjoyed watching this or listening to this, depending on how you see it. Take care, everyone. Until next time.